Hey, my name is Zach. I'm the lead pastor here at Restore. And at our church, we talk a lot about wanting to be a part of restoring faith in Jesus and the church. So we want you to know, wherever you find yourself on your spiritual journey, whether you're deconstructing or reconstructing, whether you're disentangling, doubting, rebuilding, no matter where you are, we want you to know that you are not alone. And we want to be a support for you as you journey down this road of faith. So if you have questions or you need support, we would love to chat with you. You can reach out to us through our website at restoreaustin.org. And we hope you enjoy this week's message. Y'all sounded great this morning. Wow. Really, really great. I'm going to need you to carry that forward. I'm going to need a little audience participation here at the beginning as I have a question for you. If you found out that you only had one more night left on earth, what would you do? What would you spend your time doing? This is what I meant with the audience participation. Like, shout it, shout it out. Shout it out. Run a marathon? Lord of the Rings marathon. Lord of the Rings marathon. <laughs> I was way out on the first one. I'm in on the second one. All right. Family, family time for sure. Yep. Tacos. tacos, family time and tacos. That's right, next to each other. <coughs> time with your kids. Pray. That's a good one. Time with your kids. Pray. Family. Lord of the Rings. Tacos. These are great. Very, donuts for sure. For sure. Bedroom things, yeah, yeah, good one, yeah. Thank you, Jason, appreciate that. I'll try to transition from there. Um, actually, that's a perfect transition because I Googled this and came across a Reddit thread with some pretty interesting answers to this question. One said I would probably write my will, which I felt like was a good decision. If that hadn't happened yet. One said I would walk up a very long staircase. I like staircases. I thought it was weird. Another one said, I'd try to institute some kind of a purge situation, which I thought was a little dark. I don't spend a lot of time on Reddit. Is that what it's like? Is that? Okay. Yeah, good to know. Well, those answers are unique and funny, but I think the vast majority of people on the thread, the vast majority of us, right, we say similar things. We say spend time with loved ones, throw a big party, favorite food and drinks, take a walk in nature, visit a city watch something we love, listen to something we love, pray, spend time with God, all of those things, right? Most of us have similar answers. Now, at this point, you might be wondering, why in the world are we talking about how you would spend your last night of your life? Well, depending on what kind of church you grew up in, you might be waiting for me to turn this conversation to something like, and after your last night on earth was over, do you know where you will spend eternity? If the rapture happened tomorrow, would you be taken up to heaven or would you be left behind. So we're going to spend the rest of our time together this morning talking about the American classic Left Behind <laughs> series. No, that's not true. I'm just kidding. Fear not. It's not really our style here at Restore. I bring this topic up for a very different reason. I bring it up because there came a time in Jesus's life when he knew that it was going to be his last night on earth. Now, this is a theoretical exercise for most of us, right? The vast majority of people don't know when their last night will come, but here's the thing, y'all. Jesus knew. And do you know what he did on his last night on earth? He washed feet. He washed feet. We rightly say time with family, great food, drink, party, stuff we love. But Jesus knew. Jesus washed 
feet. John's account of Jesus' life records the scene, chapter 13. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. And after that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. On the last night of Jesus' life, he humbly took the position of a servant. The creator and sustainer of the universe wrapped a towel around his waist poured water into a basin, and washed feet. We're in the middle of a teaching series called Wholehearted Postures, and it's all about how we as Christians are called to show up in the world, the postures we choose to inhabit. And each Sunday throughout this series, we're looking at a different posture that Jesus demonstrated, things like inclusion and faith, tenderness, discernment, courage, and joy, and how we are called to inhabit those same postures just like Jesus. But today we are talking about a posture of humility. A posture of humility. We're going to come back to Jesus washing feet and kind of camp there in just a minute. But first I want to show you all that Jesus' posture of humility, it didn't just start at the Last Supper. In fact, it didn't even start when Jesus began his public ministry three years before that. Jesus embodied a posture of humility from the very beginning. Remember, there were no festivities or fanfare on the night that Jesus came into this world. Just a no-name Hebrew girl from a backwoods town, surrounded by a bunch of animals, giving birth to God in the flesh. The king of kings was born to a scandalized teenager who people had accused of sleeping around. The Lord of Lords spent the first few hours of his life in a trough that animals ate out of. The savior of the world grew up poor, learned a blue-collar trade from his dad, and eventually, when he went into his public ministry, had to have it financed by a group of women. Jesus was humble. During one of his first and most famous sermons, he kicked it off like this, God blesses those who are humble for they will inherit the whole earth. Jesus continued to model a posture of humility throughout his ministry as he cared for those in need and welcomed in those who had been cast out. And then, during his last night on earth, he washes feet. So I wanna kind of put us in the room that night, in the upper room during the Passover meal, I want us to really kind of think and feel about what that would have been like, just how impactful it was then and how impactful it should be for us today. So the disciples are about to eat, but there's a problem. And the problem is that the servant who usually washes feet in this household is not there. Now we don't know why. We do know from another passage that they're kind of borrowing this upstairs room for the Passover meal, right? Jesus had told them, go find this person in town. He'll give you the room upstairs. We're going to do the Passover there. So it's possible that the servant who was tasked with foot washing was maybe busy downstairs with the homeowners, or, or maybe he was just absent. But either way, 
Jesus and his closest friends are left without a foot washer. Now, our first thought when we hear this is like, why don't we just kind of skip the foot washing thing tonight, right? It's probably like ceremonial, kind of weird. Like, do we really need it? Do we have to have it? Jesus was all about like upending traditions and saying, no, you've done it this way, but I'm going to do it this way. So why didn't he just do that here? Well, that's why it's so important for us to stand the, understand the context in which Jesus lived. You see, very few people in this culture ate a meal before washing their feet. And they did this for two reasons. Number one, their feet were gross. You have to remember that people at this time didn't have shoes comparable to what we have today. Some had primitive sandals. Most of them, though, were barefoot. They walked around in the dirt, feces, and trash that lined most walkways in towns. So it was important to wash your feet. Number two reason is they didn't eat while sitting in chairs around a table like we do. See, in our society, we're much less concerned with the condition of people's feet while we eat because they are always, usually, inside socks, inside shoes, and those shoes and socks are a few feet below us, out of sight, under the table, right? But that's not how they ate in the first century Near East. They actually ate like this. I brought a picture with me. That's an artist's rendering of what they would eat like. So they, instead of sitting in chairs, they laid on the ground. This is why scripture often uses the phrase reclined at the table when they talk about eating instead of seated at a table because they didn't sit at tables. They laid around tables. Now you can better understand why this practice of foot washing before meals was so important. But you can also better understand how lowly this job really was. That's why almost exclusively in households, it was the job reserved for the lowest ranking servant in the house. Okay, back to the upper room that night. This foot washing servant is nowhere to be found. So what would you do? How would you process this? I don't know about you, but I would have been looking around the room trying to do some quick math about foot washing. I would have thought, okay, I know that Peter, James, and John, right? They're Jesus's favorites. So they're probably not gonna have to wash feet. And then Andrew, that's Peter's brother. This is probably some nepotism going on there. He doesn't have to wash feet either. It's probably not gonna be him. But Thomas, Thomas is always doubting. <laughs> Thomas is asking too many questions, right? And Judas, that guy's shifty, right? He's supposed to be carrying the money around. We all know he's skimming off the top. That should be the guy that Jesus makes wash feet. But as I'm trying to rank everyone in the room in hopes that I'm not going to be the one that has to foot wash, I look over and I see Jesus out of the corner of my eye. And he stands up and he takes his robe off and he wraps a towel around his waist and he starts pouring water into the foot washing basin. I can't believe it. The very last person who should be washing feet is Jesus. He's the rabbi. He's our leader. He's the son of God. He's the one that we're all here for, the one we're all following. But there he is, bent over, towel in one hand, wash basin in the other, asking us to come over and have our feet washed by him. In a posture of humility, Jesus chooses to take the place of the lowest servant in the house. No one else in that room wanted to wash feet, I guarantee you. No one grabbed a towel 
right? No one even filled up the wash basin and was like, I did that part, somebody else get the feet. <laughs> Nobody did that. Nobody was jumping at this task. But Jesus did. He saw a need and he moved toward it. He saw a need and he moved toward it. He washed the feet of every single disciple that night, including the one who would betray him hours later. Look again at that passage I read. The evening meal was in progress and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the father had put all things under his power, that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, wrapped a towel around his waist. And after that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet. It's one thing to wash the feet of people that you love and people who love you, right? That's tough. It's kind of gross. There's something in it. You get it on some level. But to wash the feet of someone who is actively arranging your murder, that's a different thing. That is a posture of humility like I have never seen before. When Jesus wanted to demonstrate the ultimate posture of humility, I want you to get this. He didn't write a lecture. He didn't preach a sermon. He washed feet. He wrapped a towel around his waist, poured water into a basin, and washed feet. When Jesus wanted to demonstrate a posture of humility, he took on the role of a servant. Why? He says it later. But I think it's all about serving others is what humility looks like in action. Serving others is what humility looks like in action. And if you know much about the story of Jesus, you know this was just one of many times that he looked for an opportunity to serve when Jesus saw a need, like I said, he moved toward it. When Jesus saw someone struggling, he stopped whatever he was doing and went toward them. This is who Jesus was. This is who Jesus is. And if we are going to claim to be his followers, this is who we must be too. Jesus made that clear on the very same night. Look again, John 13, verse 12. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes, returned to his place, he said, do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightfully so, for this is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should also wash one another's feet. I have set an example that you should do as I have done for you. Jesus is telling the folks around the table that night and every other person who claims to be a follower of Jesus that Christians must be marked by a posture of humility and service. And he also said that this countercultural posture would set his followers apart. This is from Matthew's account of Jesus' life. Jesus called them together and said, you know that the rulers of this world lord it over people, and officials flaunt their authority over those under them, but among you it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be a servant of all. And whoever wants to be first among you must become a servant. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. Think about it like this, y'all. If Jesus didn't come to earth to be served, 
but to humbly serve others, then how much more should his followers be marked by service and humility, right? Do you know why I think Jesus chose to humbly serve people on the last day of his life on earth? Because he had humbly served people every single other day of his life on earth. Washing feet wasn't some grand gesture right? He didn't see like, oh my gosh, here's a teaching moment. Let me take advantage of it. I know my hours are short. This is who he was. In a New Testament letter to the early church, Paul calls this posture of humility and service simply the mindset of Christ. In Philippians 2, starting in verse 1, here's what he says. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests alone, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. This is the God that we claim to follow. Jesus embodied a posture of humble service and carried it with him all the way to the cross where in the greatest act of humility and sacrificial love in history, he allowed himself to be killed. But that's not the end of the story. On the third day, he rose from the grave, overcoming death with life, and then now freely gives his resurrected life away to absolutely anyone who wants it. This, my friends, is the good news of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. And for those of us who have placed our faith in Jesus and seek to follow him, what I want you to see here is that this has massive implications for the way that we live and move in the world. The word Christian means literally little Christ. So if we are going to call ourselves Christians, our lives need to look like Jesus's life. This is the whole reason we're spending almost two months looking at the postures that Jesus chose to embody because they must be the postures that we choose to embody too. Jesus embodied a posture of humility, not just during his last night on earth, but every single day of his life. And y'all, we must be people who choose to do the same. Now I get it. I get that it's complex. I get that it's confusing. I get that you might wonder if you're doing it right, if you really are embodying this posture of humility that Jesus embodied. But if you're wondering what it looks like, remember that Jesus demonstrated what humility looks like in action, serving others. If you aren't sure how to embody a posture of humility, just start looking for opportunities to serve people, opportunities to meet needs, to help out, 
So many times we see a need and we move away from it. We see a need and we turn our head. We see a need and we assume someone else will step up, someone else will step in. But that is not the way of Jesus. When Jesus saw a need, he moved toward it every single time. And he promised, and I love this part, he promised that if we do the same, we will experience the beauty and the goodness of God's kingdom firsthand. Here's what he says. Here's how he finished the time of teaching that we've been looking at. Verse 14, now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should also wash one another's feet. I have set an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Now that you know, you will be blessed if you do them. Now that you know followers of Jesus are called to embody a posture of humble service, you will be blessed if you put that posture into practice. Jesus is saying there is blessing in humbly serving others. Now listen, I don't think Jesus was talking about blessings like getting rich and famous, right? There's no health or wealth prosperity gospel here. And I know that because most of the folks around the table that night that Jesus was talking to, they died for their faith. They died poor, they struggled. So what kind of faith, what kind of blessing is Jesus talking about here? Well, I think he's talking about experiencing fulfillment and life-giving purpose through helping meet the needs of others. I think he's talking about flourishing, right? Shalom, fullness of life that we experience and that we help others experience. This is why we mobilize people and funding all the time to our community partners here at Restore. Because there's blessing in working with an organization like Austin Angels to help foster families. There's blessing in donating food to food insecure folks through hungry souls. There's blessing in spending a whole day beautifying lively middle school campus, this place where we sit right now every August before the students come back to school. There's blessing in that. Y'all will experience blessing in a couple of weeks when we go out to community first and see the incredible work and support it. There is blessing in humbly serving and meeting needs. But I want to wrap up our time together this morning by talking about some of the blessings that come from serving on one of our volunteer teams here at Restore. We've been doing this Find My Place initiative for the last few weeks, right? It's been back there. We've been talking about it. We've been moving through it. I want you to know that there's blessing in being a greeter on the connection team. There's blessing when you welcome someone in who has never before been accepted or felt comfortable in church. There is blessing when you so genuinely welcome and love someone and greet them with a smile that all those fears about past experiences and insecurities about, am I going to be able to really be here, just melt away. There's blessing in that. There's blessing in getting here at 7 a.m., setting everything up, putting this whole thing together, and then sitting back 
and watching someone experience the love of Jesus for the first time in a chair you put out. There's blessing in that. There's blessing in running song lyrics on the production team or, or singing in the worship band and seeing someone crying as they sing because the words that you put up on the screen or that you're leading them in touch their heart like never before. There's blessing in that. There's blessing in working with a group of first graders and restore kids, getting to tell a little girl that Jesus loves her, is there for her. Maybe she's having a really hard time at home. Maybe you just met her that day. Maybe you have no idea really who she is or what she's bringing in, but you sit down with her one-on-one and you tell her a story about how much Jesus loves her and you see it click in her little mind and joy start to spread across her face. There is blessing in that, I promise My friends, there is blessing in humbly serving others. I know that jumping onto a volunteer team, right, it can feel like, oh gosh, it's just like, I guess, you know, like they did some stuff for me, maybe I should do some stuff for them, right? I don't know, I I feel like guilty. Zach was so nice when we had coffee. He bought my coffee, you know. I get that it can feel like that. I want to be honest with you. If that's the reason that you're signing up for a volunteer team, I I don't want you to. I don't want you to do it out of guilt or shame. I don't think God motivates us that way. I don't think God moves in us that way. I want you to know and to understand that there is beauty and blessing and fullness of life when we take on the posture of humble service. I want you to do it because I think it is good for you and me to put aside our own stuff and to just give of ourselves for others. It is good for us to see a need and to move toward it rather than to see a need and move away from it. So my hope is that every single one of us find our place here on a volunteer team, in a group, in the family at Restore not because we gotta check a bunch of boxes, not because you're guilty or ashamed, not because you feel like you owe something to God or to somebody else, but because there's blessing and humble service. Because Jesus, I promise, meets you there like maybe you've never experienced before. So I'm gonna pray. And then our executive pastor, Lindsay Contreras, is going to come up and she's going to end our gathering by telling you about how to take a step to find my place initiative if you'd like to. So let me pray. Lord God, you are so good. And I'm grateful that you so clearly demonstrated what a posture of humility looks like. That on your last night on earth, when most of us would have been partying or eating our favorite foods or spending time with family, all really good and beautiful things, God, that you washed feet. You washed feet. God, I pray that as followers of Jesus, we would embody that same posture of humble service, that we would be people marked 
by humility that we would see needs and move toward them. That you would make us a community of people who do just that. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.